0: I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Welcome back to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we are going to be talking with Coach Bill Patton this week about a myriad of topics, but the main focus is going to be around cheating in junior tennis, and I think we have some new and unique ideas to share with you. So I hope you'll listen and comment on the show notes if if you have some thoughts about what we talk about. That said, I just want to remind all of you, if you haven't done so already, to be sure to subscribe to the podcast. It really helps us to have you as a subscriber to get the word out, to show up when somebody opens iTunes and all of that stuff. And, of course, we are still looking for sponsors for the podcast. So if you or your company is interested or you know somebody that might be interested, I hope you'll share that with me. You can email me at Lisa at ParentingAces.com, and I will give you all the information you may need. So with that, I will be quiet and let you enjoy my conversation with Bill Patton. Bill Patton, welcome back to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm so glad to have you back on.
1: No, it's a pleasure, and I really appreciate your friendship, Lisa. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing some stuff with your audience.
0: Well, you always have new and exciting information to share, and I'm sure this our won't be any different from our previous times together, but let's jump right in because one of the things that you're doing a lot of work around and that a lot of others in the junior tennis world seem to be doing a lot of work around is the state of cheating in junior tennis. And so I'd love to just kind of start with that controversial <laughs> little topic um, right. to get people going.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, this is I. We already talked about this, but I want to turn it around to you. And you know, before I give my stuff, I mean, I really want to uh, know what your what your opinion is. I mean, what are you seeing out there? And then, you know, you personally, and then and then from the extended coaching community, what what's the what's the word on whether it's getting better, worse, or the same?
0: Well, interestingly, you know, I came up through junior tennis a long time ago, and cheating was kind of one of those things that existed, but there were just a handful of kids that, and I mean a small handful of kids, a child's handful of kids, that mm-hmm. were the known cheaters out there, and everybody knew who they were, and it was just kind of, ah, uh, you know, hope I don't have to play that person because it's not going to be any fun. And now it seems as though that handful has grown exponentially and you know I think people just continue to get frustrated and I also think like with many other issues out there having social media as a way to broadcast issues and problems and concerns just makes things seem bigger than they may actually be if that makes sense
1: yeah it's possible yep
0: so okay. you know i'm not i'm not convinced that there are necessarily more instances of cheating going on i think there's a lot more public conversation around it and honestly i you know what i have found is When you put the onus on the kids and the parents and the coaches that are in attendance at the tournament to play within the rules, to use good sportsmanship, to be ladies and gentlemen when on the court, to give their opponent the benefit of the doubt, the kids don't let you down. And I've now run the Saul Schwartz tournament for two consecutive years. We've done three events. We've had no officials on site at any of the three events. And among the three events, we've had two instances where a match has requested somebody to come out and help.
1: Two. Yeah, that's that's pretty nice, yeah.
0: So I think a lot of the issue, quite honestly, has to do more with not expressing our confidence and faith in the kids to do what they know they're supposed to do and relying on outside people, meaning the paid officials to enforce the rules instead of leaving it to the kids to do what's right.
1: Yeah, that's great. So, and then what are you hearing from the tennis community? I mean, do you think that, you know, people, um, believe what you believe or, They think it's getting better or
2: worse.
0: Uh, I think people believe it's getting worse. I will tell you. After our last fall event in Baltimore, I sent out a poll to our fifty players, and you know, I got a handful of responses. Um, And I asked the players to rate different elements of the event on you know what was their favorite and to least favorite. And their most favorite element was having no officials. <laughs> so I think that's pretty telling.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's no, that is very interesting, and I, I think it's fascinating um, the no officials idea. I, I, I think we will have a. I would like to have a deeper discussion on that particular topic. I think that's a great idea, and um, uh, yeah. So I mean, so, but out in the general public, I mean, I'm, I'm also seeing the same sorts of frustration. And one thing, one thing that I do is when I'm in a, you know, in the coaching forum, um, there's some notable, you know, coaching forums on Facebook, you know, that have thousands of coaches from, you know, all over the United States and around the world. And then, you know, every, every once in a while you get this rant, you get this epic rant on, on the state of cheating. Um and so sure that that broadcast that something happened there uh, in that location. And then uh, a good friend of mine came up with a very interesting idea to um, to start a map and and have people when they see some kind of you know uh, you know heinous amount of cheating in a particular match or you know intimidation, gamesmanship um, to. To kind of report that out, and we'll keep, we'll take a yellow pen and we'll put it in the map, you know, and then we'll be able to see, you know, where's the disease cluster. Um, I don't know how helpful that would be. But, um, well,
0: but the problem, Bill, as you and I have discussed in the past, is what one person views as cheating may simply be a mistake or a need for glasses, I mean, quite frankly, uh, right. or a need for better training. And so that's the problem that we run into. And, you know, there are a lot of instances where a parent will report cheating or a player will report cheating just because, you know, the, the person watching and, and viewing the line call as bad either isn't sitting in a prime vantage point to actually make the call or really is having trouble seeing the ball accurately for whatever reason. And so I think that's That's the danger of of this and labeling kids as cheaters is, yes, there are those kids out there that match after match, you know, the second things get tight, they start making bad calls. I mean, there are those, those players out there, but I'm not convinced that there are more of them than there ever were as seems to be kind of the general consensus out there.
1: Okay. Yeah. I I mean, I've, you know, in almost 30 years of coaching, I've seen a steady increase in the amount of cheating going on. Um, And, um, and so you know, and it's to the point where I mean, I think that's a, the cheating is all, and the intimidation and and all of that, and like and the gamesmanship that is taught in some programs actually, actually taught. You know, uh, yeah. there are junior programs that actively teach uh, parents how to send in signals effectively to their player uh, and coach them along in their match and do so in a way that that you know is hard to uh hard to pin down hard to I, you know identify you know you weren't scratching your temple you were giving a signal to serve to the back end I mean it's so um, so you get that too but I, I want to pull well, well well
0: let me let me just interject really quickly if if that is going on and and somebody has you know factual proof that that is going on then in my opinion that coach that academy needs to be called out publicly needs to lose any kind of certification it may have needs to have the governing body paying super close attention to the players coming out of that coach or academy and you know we need to take action and and I I agree with you I mean there I've heard the same thing
1: no, the opposite is happening, Lisa. They're being actively promoted and celebrated for their great success. So you know. So this is okay. So, well, I want to pull back and and go up to thirty thousand feet and look at the look at the big picture because um, because I get I get frustrated and I I you know in preparing mentally for talking to you I I decided that no matter what happens I'm not going to get as fired up as I have in in other <laughs> talks. You know? so, oh come just, on. Well, if you want to hear, you know, uh, me challenge you, listener, then go back and listen to the last time Lisa and I talked about cheating. And, you know, I, <laughs> I pretty much laid it out there. I mean, I really did. And, and I don't want to be banging the drum. I don't want to be the angry guy. Um, so, you know, in, pr- in preparing for this, I just wanted to be, you know, very rational and even and logical and, and really take a good look at what's really happening. So, um, having, you know, run, you know, well over 30 tournaments myself, one thing that I know is true is that there are a lot of really good people working in the USTA who really wish that that parents and coaches did it the right way. Um, and the right way is to actually follow up in tangible terms on the problem. So, you know, so what we have, you know, at 30,000 feet, here's what I see. I see epic rant here, epic rant there, and, you know, complaining and maybe, you know, vilifying kids or parents or coaches, um, but not a lot of action. And, um, in fact, almost zero action, right? So that's troubling to me because, I, you know, talking a good game and having a, having a rant uh, accomplishes almost nothing. Um, All it does is actually make it seem like it actually kind of creates more of the culture of, well, you have to fight fire with fire, you know? Um, Mm -hmm. So, but you get, you get that, you get um, otherwise uh, good people or middle of the road people who go, well, since the, since the, uh, the culture is so toxic, then I better bring my toxicity at an even level or I'm going to lose. And then you get, kind of the defeatist, well, that's just the way it is, and you're going to have to toughen up cupcake and just deal with cheaters and not, not let it bother you, right? Um, and that's, you know, that's um, that's what people with addic- addiction in their families do. They just tolerate the bad behavior, and, and they toughen up and soldier on. Um, so, you know, I think we need a little bit of family systems therapy, but here's so this is a fascinating thing, right? So in 2015, there was um, the um, the tennis summit in um, Indian Wells, and I went to both mm-hmm. of the tennis summit, um, and they had a really a great uh, panel discussion uh, led by Kurt Camperman, and on it were um, uh, John um, Embry from USPTA, Dan Santorum from the PTR, and uh, Paul Lovers from the USDA, And so it was this kind of brainstorming, problem-solving session, discussing, you know, exactly what is the problem, how, how much of a problem it is, and the, and the word epidemic came out um, there. So, so pretty much all three of these, you know, very involved people saw it as a, as a growing epidemic. So um, at that time I was in the midst of writing a book called How to um, End Cheating in Junior Tennis, Twenty One Ways to Eat the Elephant because it is such a huge problem, right? Um, and um so okay, oh, we get construction sounds coming from the house next door, so this will be fun. Uh if I Don't have one, it's, if they use the jackhammer,
2: I'll move to the <laughs>
0: Hey, that's the okay. joy of of doing yeah. these podcasts. We are real, in case anybody wondered. We are
2: real.
1: <laughs> exactly. And, I, you know, and I'm not going to name names because I think that that's rude, but I will tell you about a conversation that I had uh, with one pretty major stakeholder where the idea was to to create an app where... Players could report other players, you know. Uh, you know, right. for for being great sports, you know, give give that kid a five star, right? Um, and then, you know, if something went really well for poorly, then give him a one star. And I was like, no, you know, I don't. That's not going to work because what will happen is people will un- empowered by anonymity, anonymously give one star reviews preemptively to drag the whole thing down. I mean, it's just,
2: mm-hmm. it's just. It,
1: the whole big brother aspect of that is missing. So now here's the, here's the thing that's fascinating to me, right? I mean, I, I wrote this book and I got help from some really great people. Um, Julie Theats from high tech tennis actually went through and edited the book for me very nicely. Um, you know, Brett, um, Brett Blair, who's also kind of a champion of, on the topic of cheating, uh, also edited and contributed some content, um, and I had some other, you know, coach friends look at it, endorse it and all that. And in the two years since it's been out, I think it's sold way less than a hundred copies. And it's really interesting. And and I think and I think it's fascinating that there are people out there that care more that I might make ninety cents or a dollar fifty on the selling of an ebook on this topic than they are about getting twenty one dynamic action items that can completely change the culture so when these rants come up so people have these rants you know i mean i I put a lot of thought into. i've used stuff that i've done that works and i've i am got other ideas that other people have have done that work it works Mm i mean uh you know i have the social proof i mean my tournament's were known as being the tournament that was played fairly, and and another interesting thing began to happen as I you know I was applying these different things in my tournaments. I would notice that there'd be a concurrent tournament of the same level, and kids who had previously gotten in trouble at our tournament would then show up in the draw of the opposing tournament the next year. And I thought, how sad for that tournament that they're now going to have the concentration of of all you know all the cheaters over there and we're going to have all the fair players over here and everybody's going to have a great time and, and parents would come private to privately to me and say thank you so much because it feels really good to have a player win that we know they played fair they deserve to win right but here's what they don't do they don't write to the USTA and say hey we had this contrasting experience and we want more of that they don't write. Well, uh,
0: right. They don't. And that's, and that's you know, true across so many different areas. Um, people tend not to take action when they have a positive experience, only when they have a negative one. And they'll only take action if they don't sense that it's going to come back to bite them, right? So, You know when i started parenting aces i had a similar experience to that bill where people were like oh my gosh you know i've been wanting to do this for years to write about these things and you know how great that you're doing it but aren't you scared of what's going to happen with your kid and to me that's a sad way to approach something uh to think of it only in terms of how it's going to impact you individually as opposed to the effect it can have globally. And I'm, I'm saying globally in quotes because globally may mean just in your neighborhood, or it may mean, you know, your city, your state, your region, whatever it doesn't necessarily right. mean worldwide. Um, right. And, and so I think that happens over and over again. And, and I would put this out to you that, okay, so people aren't writing to USTA. Well, as a comparison, the sole events are not USTA events. They are UTR right. events. And I can promise you that I am reporting to UTR the feedback I'm getting, whether or not anybody yep. else is. But I, as the tournament creator, uh, am, am reporting that back. And UTR uses what, the information that I report back to them to make even right. better events. So we we know the parents aren't going to do it, right? We know the parents aren't going to do it. So then the onus goes on the people running the event to debrief.
1: This is dynamic. Okay. So now whereas UTR uh, will actively promote you to self-report the success of the tournament and they will value your input and take it as – you know, and they might take it with a grain of salt, but they're valuing that input. They're, you know, they're listening to it. They're responding to it, right? Whereas the US, USTA, by and large, doesn't do that. I mean, my experience with telling people, of telling uh, the USTA about successes and things and best practices is um, sort of a, a patronizing um, attitude. And, and, and or, sure. like, distrustful, oh, Bill, you're just tooting your own horn. Um, Okay, yeah, ha, ha, ha. I mean, we will tolerate your ego for a short period of time during this five-minute phone call as we try to wiggle out of it as quickly as possible. Um, So, you know, so there is, so see that, so we have this like this secret police, you know, mentality like, um, you know, there's, you know, no good deed goes unpunished. And um, you know, we, we have that mentality that that there will be retribution, and I think that I think ninety uh, percent of that is absolutely false. Um, that agreed, but the, but there's enough of it. There's enough of it that it, there is a kernel of truth to that, and so uh, people don't want to play Russian roulette. Now, um, so this is where, if you're that stakeholder um, who is the one who these things get reported to, uh, then. I challenge you, sir or ma'am, uh, to you know really take a close look in the mirror and you know uh, stop any political uh, retribution over any of the stuff. I mean, because it's about concern for the health of the game. Um, so well, let me let me just. Let me throw this out, Bill. That person, whether you think they're an ego a megalomaniac, uh, it goes beyond whether you think they might have impure motives. You just have to take care of business.
0: Right. And and let me put this out there. For years, we as a tennis community have been writing about, talking about having alternatives that You know, when one organization gets too much power, that things can kind of take a turn for the worse, and that wouldn't it be nice to have alternatives to USTA tournaments for those people who don't buy into the points per round ranking system, for those people who don't buy into short scoring or no doubles or whatever the issues are that they have One and done. with those events. I'm sorry? One and done. Right.
1: One and done,
2: yeah.
0: Correct. So now we have seen that UTR has got into, gotten into the tournament game. UTR is has created a platform where people can put on tournaments. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, they're back in software still needs some tweaking I will I will say that as somebody who's used it Um, and they are aware of that and are working on that but for the most part it's pretty straightforward you tell them you want to host an event they create a website and their platform for you you go in and fill all the information out you open registration you close registration you pay them a per player fee and then you publish you create and publish your draws, update your results, and voila you have a tournament.
2: And it's awesome.
0: Okay. And and you can you're not handcuffed by specific rules like you are when you want to put on a USTA sanctioned event. There are a lot of variables that are left up to the tournament organizer. And one of those that, that again, that we've chosen to take advantage of for the Saul Schwartz tournament is no officials. Um, another one is guaranteeing three matches to every player. Another one is using full two out of three sets scoring with regular scoring, none of the no ad garbage. Um, no 10-point tiebreakers for the third set. We want these kids to play tennis. And that's – the choice we've made, that's not a format that everybody wants to see, great. There are options now for you, and that's the beauty of it, right? And so the same thing with the cheating. If you find that certain events are facilitating or turning a blind eye to cheating, then don't go to them. Choose other events. There are choices now.
1: Right. Yeah, don't be the fresh water in that cesspool. So, yeah, um, you know, I, there are a couple of things I want to say, and then I'm going to end my my live broadcasting on YouTube and and Facebook. Um, you know, it's funny because because um, I was running junior Grand Prix tennis, which you know was was kind of uh, moving forward, and then I think they've now taken t- taken a sideways or slightly downward. But um, one thing that was really fun with them is the same thing. There's a lot of freedom to come up with a different format. So what we would do is we'd get all the kids together and watch them hit and then we would group them by ability based on what you know how did it look in terms of how competitive they would be. So we would have
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, we would have round robins of four, five, six or seven kids. And so if you were in a round robin of of three, then you would play eight game process. And if you were mm-hmm. in a round robin of five, then you would play normal sets, and if and if six, then it would be five game sets with tiebreakers at four all, and the kids would play for four hours, and I, the parents loved us because then we sent back, you know, docile, um, exhausted children, you know, that, that couldn't really talk back after that. So um, so <laughs> the other thing, too, great, like a friend of mine brought his uh, kid to my tournament, and his son was, uh, you know, not acting properly. And so I went and talked to his dad. and He said, you know what, do whatever you want to do. So so he swiped his racket on the ground. And I went on the court immediately. And I, and I got down, you know, to that kid's level. And I said, you know, you could destroy your racket somewhere else. But you have to keep it off my court. Um, so, you know, I don't care about your racket one bit. But I do care about my court. And so, and then the other thing is I talked to your dad and he said, calm down. <laughs> so, um, so I mean that, that wouldn't, that never, that will never ever happen at a USDA event. And what, and guess what? And so what happens? The kid calms down, he plays really well and he wins the tournament and now we have a really positive experience moving forward. Um, you know, and then here's, here's the final story would be that, um, here in NorCal, we have this thing called a uh, junior cup. We have, um, uh, it's a tournament series that allows coaching on changeovers, you know. So, so it's a great way for kids to play their first tournaments because then, you know, if they, if they blow a tire, you know, you're there to reinflate um, So if they get a flat. So, you know, it's, it's great. I, I, any of my kids who are going to go play tournaments, I, I get them started there. They don't, they're not allowed to play on their own until they've played those, and I'm there with them. Um, and we have very few kids uh, quit playing tournaments after having started that way. Well, we had this one particularly uh, amazing match between one of my eight-year-olds who uh, got um, emotional issues. She's very, she's a very fiery kid. And then she was playing this other opponent who seemed to be making ten or twelve bad calls. But then the girl making the bad calls was doubting and questioning my girls' calls as a you know as the best defense is a good offense. So it was just the ugliest match you might have ever wanted to see. So we get the tournament official out there to kind of, you know, monitor all the rest of that match and there were tears and and it was it was crazy. So afterwards though, um I witnessed one of the club pros talking to the other girl saying, Oh honey That's okay. You can't control if the other girl's a cheater. I was like, and it blew my mind. I'm like, dear club pro, you did not watch that match for one second, and you're now labeling my kid a cheater. Uh uh, that will not happen. So so Hmm. now we've got now let's go to the tournament officials and talk about this, right? So the next morning, the next morning I get a notification that I have received a one star Yelp review. Um, so this Yelp review was, oh, Bill, Bill, we went to Bill Patton's camp and he was awful and it was, you know, terrible, total waste of money and and blah blah blah. And I was like, oh, I think I know where this Yelp review has come from. So I included that in my follow up with the thing. And then you know Yelp actually you know investigated and found out that it was this it was the mother of this kid. So I you know t- it's it's a little amusing now. It was not quite as amusing when my you know I went from five stars down to four (laughs) but you know there's gonna be there can be some retribution and so we have to follow up on the retribution then so right uh, I would say don't be afraid you know go go forward and if you see you know really heinous act of of cheating that follow up on one of those a year it won't it won't emotionally scar you and follow all the way up until you get satisfaction. And, you know, you might not get satisfaction with the tournament director, so you take it to whoever is the person who's in charge of them down at the office. And if you don't get satisfaction with them, then go to the next level, and you may end up talking to a board, right? And then if it goes that far, then it really kind of exposes the system. You you will quickly be able to decide how much you care anymore about those, that particular organization. I mean, it's just, right. you know, be rational, people. I mean, even if the other people are not rational, you can be rational. I mean, and and if they if if you feel like there's there's retribution politically somehow, then it's time to drop out. I mean, why continue in that? I mean, it,
2: yeah. I, you know, I
1: think, yeah. I mean, it, it kind of points to. I mean, it's funny how uh, Richard Williams, I think, saw all this happening, and I think that that's. That's my personal theory, is that rather than taking all that stuff head on, you know, the Williams sisters just kind of went around it and trained a different way that was completely different that, you know, they could mitigate this problem of continuing ongoing political negativity. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, (laughs) Richard's a fascinating person. I mean, he's, you know, he's definitely a love-hate kind of a guy, but I appreciate the genius of the way he approached the training of his kids and i also uh now as i'm getting a little older understanding kind of the double speak that he used to keep everyone at bay uh so he was he could say something tremendous in one moment and in the very next sentence be extremely critical and that left everybody you know kind of tiptoeing around so you know it was effective it wasn't pleasant but it worked So, so anyway, so I mean, back to the point. So now, I think the 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 final thing that I want to say on this cheating thing is do something. Don't don't complain. Don't rant. Don't go out on all this negativity. Um, I I really want to urge people to to check out this book that has 21 ideas, and it has it has ideas for coaches. It, no, it has ideas that are just general. Everyone in tennis can do these things. Like number one, celebrate great sportsmanship. Yes. Celebrate it, okay? I mean, that's it, do that, and you'll be surprised what an effect that can have, right? So there are these general ideas. Then there are ideas for coaches to in their programs. There are ideas for parents with their children, and there are ideas for players to take ownership of their own match. And finally, there are a couple of ideas for governing bodies um, because, you know, if, if a governing body – I'll give you one thing from that. If a governing body were to, once a month, call the number one, number 11, number 21, 31, 41 players and say, hey, we just wanted to know how we're doing, right? This is just a friendly call to find out how we're doing. And then the next month, call – two, twelve, you know, and on down. I mean it
2: doesn't mm-hmm.
1: you know either, you know it's an hour it's an hour of your time on the phone and you might be surprised at how much and then wow the message that sends of caring and engagement right what i, I you know they will they'll be in disbelief at first. I can't believe I'm getting a phone call from somebody who really actually wants to know my opinion. You know it's like I tell kids all the time, if you keep telling your mom – you t- if you tell your mom you love you love her and she says, what do you want, then you're not telling your mom you love her enough.
2: Hmm. You know?
1: And so the USTA is not telling people that they love them enough.
0: Well, those kinds of initiatives um, by the governing body take manpower and take money. Hmm. And so it'll be interesting to see if they – yeah, move on that. Okay. I think it's a great idea, no, I, but
1: no, your comment there is perfect because that's the objection. It takes manpower, and so I, so here's so let me let me come back and say uh, and
0: money. Don't forget the money part because that okay, seems well, to be at the base of everything driving our sport right now.
1: Quite oh, honestly, well, you know, oh, because the USGA is so poor, the OCA doesn't have a mountain of money. That it makes from the U.S. Open every year? Do they? No, I don't think so. Yes, they do. So now the time thing. Okay. So here's um, here's all I'm asking. One hour a month. So so the time thing. I mean, it's not unreasonable to ask someone, a staffer at the USTA, to spend one hour a month being proactive, developing engagement. That's all it would take, because what will happen? Um, those players get a phone call, and then the word spreads. They talk to their friends. Hey, I got this phone call from the USA. Did you get that call? Right? Then the next month, the next group of people gets the call, and they go, oh, wow, my friend told me he got a call from the estate. Now I'm getting it. Have you gotten the call? I mean, it, it, it will quickly yes. spread. It'll be like a... It'll be like Absolutely.
2: No, it'd be it's, huge. It's it'd be one, huge. One but I'm there...
0: Right. And and this is, you know, another in a long list of things that our governing body could do from a PR standpoint that would make things so much better. But for whatever reason, they've been slow to act on these things. Now, I will say, Martin Blackman seems to be making some moves in the right direction. And I yeah. I have a lot of respect for him. Um, I think he's doing a bang up job and I'm I'm happy that he's in the position he's in with with player development. But what need what people I think don't 100% understand is that player development is not about the masses. Player development is about that 0.001% of players who are going to find success as professional athletes. And that uh, yeah. is, that's their concern. And so I, I'm hoping that, you know, Bill Mountford is in charge of junior tournaments. There is a junior comp committee of volunteers. That's where the real work for the masses in junior tennis can and needs to happen.
2: All right.
1: So, you know, I should – we we went way beyond the 20 minutes of –
0: We sure did.
1: I'm I'm turning off YouTube right now. Okay. So so if you want the rest of this discussion, you people watching on YouTube or Facebook, I'm about to turn this off. And go to parentingaces.com. This this is going to air sometime after the U.S. Open. Um, So you'll be able to download the podcast. And so thanks for watching there – and thanks for watching. There. Okay. So. So now. Um, okay. Good. I ended that.
2: And, okay.
1: Because um, yeah, we, we were re- right in the thick of it. There wasn't really a break. So.
0: No. It's uh, fine. It's fine.
1: Those are done. Okay. Now. Um, now here's the interesting thing, though. I mean. So yeah. Okay. Martin Blackman, you know, represents you know the training of these of this you know the elite, and that's fine. That's he's doing a great job, and I, I think the thing I love about um, the new model. Is that they're taking account, and taking into account other factors other than playing ability. Um, you know, it's not an automatic. Your ranking and your playing ability don't get you in necessarily. Um, so they're they're looking at attitude. They're looking at you know, uh, to some degree, sportsmanship. Is this player going to be able to function when all their calls are being scrutinized? Um, See, so yeah, I think I think part of the problem with with american player development is we have kids who've cheated all their lives and they've they it's the peter principle they've they reached the level of their incompetence and now their calls are being scrutinized because there's a line judge on every court um, in college or there you know there's an umpire in every court and uh you know and then there's shot spot to you know detect their bad calls and now they don't get to make the calls and then when that that ball that they would dearly love to call out so they can win doesn't get called out. They, they don't know how to deal with it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm not, I'm not talking, I'm not thinking so much about the player development aspect. To me, it's, it's about the, the larger growth of tennis. And, you know, Bill Mountford, you mentioned a moment ago, um, he, he, uh, he and I spent about 45 minutes on the phone, um, in the last stages of, of me writing the book, and he contributed a quote to it, and he gave me some guidance about how to maybe approach it. Uh, it and, you know, it, he was he was instrumental in helping with that. Um, so And the good news did, is, Bill, wait, the good
0: news is, his yeah? son is now in the junior competition world. His son is now playing junior tournaments. So I think you know, from the perspective of really having an on-the-ground, real-world view of what's going on, he is in the thick of it now, and I think that's only going to benefit junior comp as a whole.
2: Yeah,
1: that's great. You know, and see, the the thing is, we, we talk about these statistics about, you know, the extremely large percentage of kids who quit um, before they play a second tournament, and then, The even larger number of players who never complete six tournaments in their lives, Um, Mm -hmm. and so that is a that's a a heinous crime against the game because those are the future four five five zero level players that are going to populate clubs and bring bring the entire U.S. dedicated player population way up, but we're killing those we're killing those players in their infancy. Um, Yeah. So. Allowing the toxic environment is is a major blow to the um, to the growth of the game because we're like. we have built in we have built in attrition. So so that's why my players I don't allow them to play USTA until we've gone through a, a situation where I'm present and coaching them through.
2: Um, well, you know I think that's weird
0: and. Then they, then they have a skill set, you know, they have a toolbox of how to handle situations when they come up.
1: Exactly. And we, and we talk a lot about cheating in our, in our program. We talk about um, the fact that 80% of the calls in a match that are bad calls are just simple mistakes by the opponent. They just didn't see it. You know, so, so don't rush to judgment about a mistake. Um
2: mm-hmm.
1: so you know, that's a that's a really major part of it. Um I mean this is sure. this is these are my unofficial statistics. There's no data on this. This is just me spitballing from having having uh what, you know, run thirty tournaments and, you know, seen ten thousand um high school tennis matches um altogether. I mean, it's I'm probably not exaggerating, but this is, you know, when I, talk, when I talk about this with people, I mean, a lot of people agree that about 80, you know, four out of five calls that are made that poorly are just a mistake. And then about 15% are because of psychological blindness. You know, the kid wants to win so bad that their eyes convince them that it was something other because they're, because they're just so outcome oriented. And I was that kid. I was that kid until the principal of my school (laughs) called me on this when we were playing four square and on the playground. I mean, I more or less had an intervention because kids were upset with me that I was so wound up and so into the the outcome that I would call the ball wrong and there would be these huge arguments. So the principal came out and played. And then when the principal and three other players disagreed with me and wouldn't let me off the hook, I had to come to terms with that. So it was a pivotal moment for me. And, um, you know, it's funny, I still see that guy at the grocery store, but, um, um, yeah, I mean, you know, kids and, and those are our future champions, the kids that really, really care about the outcome. But so if we let them get stigmatized and we don't train them better how to make calls, then we're losing, we're losing a pretty big chunk of the kids who really, really care. Um, you know, then about 5% of the, the bad calls are calculated criminal acts um, where, you know, they add it up in their mind. Okay, ball on the line. Um, it's break point. And so if I make this call, I win. Okay, out. And then that player then usually what they do is they don't gain eye contact with anyone uh, in the vicinity until after the next point is played you know you can always spot a cheater cuz they cuz they'll make their bad call and then they won't want to look at anyone <laughs> to to you know confirm or deny their call. Mhm. You know so it's, it's a you know it so i you know I, it's funny how much time we can spend talking about this. It's amazing.
2: Well,
0: i I was just going to stop you because we, we're, our hour is going very rapidly, and I want to make sure we touch on at least at least your USA Tennis Coach Deep Coaching Workshop. So let's okay. let's move on to that for our last few minutes. And and let me just say to the listeners that links to everything we have discussed will be in the show notes. So um, I will include links to Bill's in my past conversations and the link to purchase his ebook, book and uh, anything else that, <laughs> that comes up in the next few minutes. So take a look at the show notes if, if you need reminders. Okay, I'm done. Go ahead.
1: Okay, thanks. Yeah, so the, um, the deep coaching workshop is coming up um, October 5th, 6th, and 7th. In Oakland, California. That's a weekend. Did I get those dates right? I better look at my calendar really quick. Um, I'm not looking at it. And this is what I do. I Sometimes I shoot off the hip a little bit too quickly. But um, now, you know, the interesting thing about coaching education is it sometimes, no, it's the 6th, 7th, and 8th um, in Oakland at um, Sequoia Country Club, where I am now the tennis pro. But um, awesome. the, the interesting model of tennis education for coaches, it it's very close to, you know, high school or college. And um, you know, what we're what we're trying to do is create more of a like a a classical education model. Um because currently what happens is, you know, we get large groups of people together and everyone watches a lecture and they'll see a coach
0: I'm Lisa Stone. Thank you for joining us for this edition of Parenting Aces. Welcome back to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm your host, Lisa Stone, and we are going to be talking with Coach Bill Patton this week about a myriad of topics, but the main focus is going to be around cheating in junior tennis, and I think we have some new and unique ideas to share with you so i hope you'll listen and comment on the show notes if if you have some thoughts about what we talk about that said i just want to remind all of you if you haven't done so already to be sure to subscribe to the podcast it really helps us to have you as a subscriber to get the word out, to show up when somebody opens iTunes and all of that stuff. And, of course, we are still looking for sponsors for the podcast. So if you or your company is interested or you know somebody that might be interested, I hope you'll share that with me. You can email me at lisa at parentingaces.com, and I will give you all the information you may need. So with that, I will be quiet and let you enjoy my conversation with Bill Patton. Bill Patton, welcome back to the Parenting Aces podcast. I'm so glad to have you back on.
2: No,
1: it's a pleasure, and I really appreciate your friendship, Lisa. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to sharing some stuff with your audience.
0: Well, you always have new and exciting information to share, and I'm sure this our won't be any different from our previous times together, but let's jump right in because one of the things that you're doing a lot of work around and that a lot of others in the junior tennis world seem to be doing a lot of work around is the state of cheating in junior tennis. And so I'd love to just kind of start with that controversial <laughs> little topic um, right. to get people going.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and uh, you know, this is I. We already talked about this, but I want to turn it around to you. And you know, before I give my stuff, I mean, I really want to uh, know what your what your opinion is. I mean, what are you seeing out there? And then, you know, you personally, and then and then from the extended coaching community, what what's the what's the word on whether it's getting better, worse, or the same?
0: Well, interestingly, you know, I came up through junior tennis a long time ago, and cheating was kind of one of those things that existed, but there were just a handful of kids that, and I mean a small handful of kids, a child's handful of kids, that Mm -hmm. were the known cheaters out there. And everybody knew who they were, and it was just kind of, uh, you know, hope I don't have to play that person because it's not going to be any fun. And now it seems as though that handful has grown exponentially, and, you know, I think people just continue to get frustrated, and I also think, like with many other issues out there, having social media as a way to broadcast issues and problems and concerns just makes things seem bigger than they may actually be if that makes sense
1: yeah it's possible yep
0: so okay. you know i'm not i'm not convinced that there are necessarily more instances of cheating going on i think there's a lot more public conversation around it and honestly i you know what i have found is When you put the onus on the kids and the parents and the coaches that are in attendance at the tournament to play within the rules, to use good sportsmanship, to be ladies and gentlemen when on the court, to give their opponent the benefit of the doubt, the kids don't let you down. And I've now run the Saul Schwartz tournament for two consecutive years. We've done three events. We've had no officials on site at any of the three events. And among the three events, we've had two instances where a match has requested somebody to come out and help.
1: Two. Yeah, that's, that's pretty nice, yeah.
0: So I think a lot of the issue, quite honestly, has to do more with not expressing our confidence and faith in the kids to do what they know they're supposed to do and relying on outside people, meaning the paid officials to enforce the rules instead of leaving it to the kids to do what's right.
1: Yeah, that's great. So, and then what are you hearing from the tennis community? I mean, do you think that, you know, people um, believe what you believe or They think it's getting better or
2: worse?
0: Uh, I think people believe it's getting worse. I will tell you, after our last SAL event in Baltimore, I sent out a poll to our 50 players, and, you know, I got a handful of responses, Um, and I asked the players to rate different elements of the event on, you know, what was their favorite and to least favorite, and their most favorite element was having no officials, <laughs> so I think thats pretty telling,
1: yeah, yeah, that's know that is very interesting, and i I think it's fascinating um, the no officials idea i i I think we will have a i would like to have a deeper discussion on that particular topic. I think that's a great idea, and um uh yeah. So I mean, so, but out in the general public, I mean, I'm, I'm also seeing the same sorts of frustration. And one thing, one thing that I do is when I'm in a, you know, in the coaching forum, um, there's some notable, you know, coaching forums on Facebook, you know, that have thousands of coaches from, you know, all over the United States and around the world. And then, you know, every, every once in a while you get this rant, you get this epic rant on, on the state of cheating um and so sure that that broadcast that something happened there uh in that location and then uh a good friend of mine came up with a very interesting idea to um to start a map and and have people when they see some kind of you know uh you know heinous amount of cheating in a particular match or you know intimidation gamesmanship um to to kind of report that out, and we'll keep, we'll take a yellow pen and we'll put it in the map, you know, and then we'll be able to see, you know, where's the disease cluster. Um, I don't know how helpful that would be. But, uh, well,
0: but the problem, Bill, as you and I have discussed in the past, is what one person views as cheating may simply be a mistake or a need for glasses, I mean, quite frankly, uh, right. or a need for better training. And so that's the problem that we run into. And, you know, there are a lot of instances where a parent will report cheating or a player will report cheating just because, you know, the, the person watching and, and viewing the line call as bad either isn't sitting in a prime vantage point to actually make the call
2: or right.
0: really is having trouble seeing the ball accurately for whatever reason. And yeah. That's, yeah, that's so wonderful. I think that's, that's the danger of, yeah. of this and labeling kids as cheaters is, yes, there are those kids out there that match after match, you know, the second things get tight, they start making bad calls. I mean, there are those right. those players out there, but, I'm not convinced that there are more of them than there ever were as seems to be kind of the general consensus out there.
1: Okay. Yeah. I I mean, I've, you know, in almost 30 years of coaching, I've seen a steady increase in the amount of cheating going on. Um, And, um, and so you know, it's to the point where I mean, I think that's a, the cheating is all, and the intimidation and and all of that, and like and the gamesmanship that is taught in some programs actually, actually taught. You know, uh, sure. there are junior programs that actively teach uh, parents how to send in signals effectively to their player uh, and coach them along in their match and do so in a way that that you know is hard to uh hard to pin down hard to I, you know identify you know you weren't scratching your temple you were giving a signal to serve to the back end I mean it's so um, so you get that too but I, I want to pull well well well
0: let me let me just interject really quickly if if that is going on and and somebody has you know factual proof that that is going on then in my opinion that coach that academy needs to be called out publicly needs to lose any kind of certification it may have needs to have the governing body paying super close attention to the players coming out of that coach or academy and you know we need to take action and and I I agree with you I mean there I've heard the same thing
1: no, the opposite is happening, Lisa. They're being actively promoted and celebrated for their great success. So you know. So this is okay. So, well, I want to pull back and and go up to thirty thousand feet and look at the look at the big picture because um, because I get I get frustrated and I I you know in preparing mentally for talking to you I I decided that no matter what happens I'm not going to get as fired up as I have in in other
2: <laughs> talks. You know? so, oh come just, on. Well, if you want to
1: hear, you know, uh, me challenge you, listener, then go back and listen to the last time Lisa and I talked about cheating. And, you know, I, <laughs> I pretty much laid it out there. I mean, I really did. And, and I don't want to be banging the drum. I don't want to be the angry guy. Um, so, you know, in, pr- in preparing for this, I just wanted to be, you know, very rational and even and logical and, and really take a good look at what's really happening. So, um, having, you know, run, you know, well over 30 tournaments myself, one thing that I know is true is that there are a lot of really good people working in the USTA who really wish that that parents and coaches did it the right way. Um, And the right way is to actually follow up in tangible terms on the problem. So... You know, so what we have, uh, you know, at, at 30,000 feet, here's what I see. I see epic rant here, epic rant there, and, you know, complaining and maybe, you know, vilifying kids or parents or coaches, um, but not a lot of action. And, um, in fact, almost zero action, right? So that's troubling to me because, I, you know, talking a good game and having a, having a rant uh, accomplishes almost nothing. Um, All it does is actually make it seem like it actually kind of creates more of the culture of, well, you have to fight fire with fire, you know? Um, Mm So, but you get, you get that, you get um, otherwise uh, good people or middle of the road people who go, well, since the, since the, uh, the culture is so toxic, then I better bring my toxicity at an even level or I'm going to lose. And then you get, kind of the defeatist, well, that's just the way it is, and you're going to have to toughen up Cupcake and just deal with cheaters and not, not let it bother you, right? Um, and that's, you know, that's um, that's what people with addic- addiction in their families do. They just tolerate the bad behavior, and, and they toughen up and soldier on. Um, so, you know, I think we need a little bit of family systems therapy. But here's so this is a fascinating thing, right? So in 2015, there was um, the um, the tennis summit in um, Indian Wells, and I went to both mm-hmm. of the tennis summit, um, and they had a really a great uh, panel discussion uh, led by Kurt Camperman, and on it were um, uh, John um, Embry. From USPTA, Dan Santorum from the PTR, and uh, Paul Lovers from the USDA, and so it was this kind of brainstorming, problem-solving session discussing, you know, exactly what is the problem, how how much of a problem it is, and the, and the word epidemic came out um, there. So so pretty much all three of these, you know, very involved people saw it as a as a growing epidemic. So, um, at that time, I was in the midst of writing a book called "How to um, End Cheating in Junior Tennis: Twenty-One Ways to Eat the Elephant" because it is such a huge problem, right? Um, and um, so, oh, good, we get construction sounds coming from the house next door. So this will be fun. Uh, if I Don't have worry. One, if they use the jackhammer,
2: I'll move. To the- <laughs>
0: Hey, that's the okay. joy of, of doing yeah. these podcasts. We are real, in case anybody wondered. We
2: are real.
1: So, exactly. And, I, you know, and I'm not going to name names because I think that that's rude, but I will tell you about a conversation that I had uh, with one pretty major stakeholder where the idea was to to create an app where Players could report other players, you know. Uh, you know, right. for for being great sports, you know, give give that kid a five star, right? Um, and then, you know, if something went really well or poorly, then give him a one star. And I was like, no, you know, I don't. That's not going to work because what will happen is people will un- empowered by anonymity, anonymously give one star reviews preemptively to drag the whole thing down. I mean, it's just,
2: mm-hmm. it's just.
1: It, the whole big brother aspect of that is missing. So now, here's the here's the thing that's fascinating to me, right? I mean, I I wrote this book and I got help from some really great people. Um, Julie Theats from High Tech Tennis actually went through and edited the book for me very nicely. Um, you know, Brett um, Brett Blair, who's also kind of a champion of on the topic of cheating, uh, also edited and contributed some content. Um, and I had some other, you know, coach friends look at it, endorse it and all that. And in the two years since it's been out, I think it's sold way less than a hundred copies. And it's really interesting. And and I think and I think it's fascinating that there are people out there that care more that I might make ninety cents or a dollar fifty on the selling of an ebook on this topic than they are about getting twenty one Dynamic action items that can completely change the culture. So when these rants come up, so people have these rants, you know. I mean, and I put a lot of thought into. I've used stuff that I've done that works, and I've, I'm, got other ideas that other people have have done that work. It works. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, you know, I have the social proof. I mean, my tournaments. Were known as being the tournament that was played fairly, and and another interesting thing began to happen as I you know I was applying these different things in my tournaments. I would notice that there'd be a concurrent tournament of the same level, and kids who had previously gotten in trouble at our tournament would then show up in the draw of the opposing tournament the next year. And I thought, how sad for that tournament that they're now going to have the concentration of of all you know all the cheaters over there and we're going to have all the fair players over here and everybody's going to have a great time and and parents would come private to privately to me and say thank you so much because it feels really good to have a player win that we know they played fair they deserve to win right but here's what they don't do they don't write to the USTA and say hey we had this contrasting experience and we want more of that they don't write.
2: Well, uh,
0: right, they don't, and that's and that's you know true across so many different areas. Um, people tend not to take action when they have a positive experience, only when they have a negative one, and they'll only take action if they don't sense that it's going to come back to bite them. Right, so. You know, when I started Parenting Aces, I had a similar experience to that, Bill, where people were like, oh, my gosh, you know, I've been wanting to do this for years to write about these things and, you know, how great that you're doing it, but aren't you scared of what's going to happen with your kid? And To me, that's a sad way to approach something, uh, to think of it only in terms of how it's going to impact you individually as opposed to the effect it can have globally. And I'm I'm saying globally in quotes because globally may mean just in your neighborhood or it may mean, you know, your city, your state, your region, whatever. It doesn't necessarily mean worldwide. Um, And and so I think that happens over and over again. And, and I would put this out to you that, okay, so people aren't writing to USTA. Well, as a comparison, the sole events are not USTA events. They are UTR right. events. And I can promise you that I am reporting to UTR the feedback I'm getting whether or not anybody else is, but I, as the tournament creator, uh, am am reporting that back. And UTR uses the information that I report back to them to make even better events. So we we know the parents aren't going to do it, right? We know the parents aren't going to do it. So then the onus goes on the people running the event to debrief.
1: This is dynamic. Okay. So now, whereas UTR uh, will actively promote you to self-report the success of the tournament and they will value your input and take it as, you know, and they might take it with a grain of salt, but they're valuing that input. They're, you know, they're listening to it. They're responding to it, right? Correct. Whereas U.S. USTA by and large doesn't do that. I mean, my experience with telling people of telling uh, the USTA about successes and things and best practices is um, sort of a, a patronizing um, attitude, and and or like distrustful. Oh, Bill, you're just tooting your own horn. Um, okay, yeah, ha ha ha. I mean, I'll, we will tolerate your ego for a short period of time during this five-minute phone call as we try to wiggle out of it as quickly as possible. Um, okay. So. You know, so there is. So see that. So we have this like the secret police, you know, mentality. Like, um, you know, there's, you know, no good deed goes unpunished, and um, you know, we, we have that mentality that that there will be retribution. And I think that I think ninety uh, percent of that is absolutely false. Um, that agreed. But the, but there's enough of it there's enough of it that there is a kernel of truth to that. And so uh, people don't want to play Russian roulette. Now, um, so this is where if you're that stakeholder um, who is the one who these things get reported to, uh, then I challenge you, sir or ma'am, to, you know, really take a close look in the mirror and, you know, uh, stop any political... Uh, retribution over any of the stuff I mean because it's about concern for the health of the game um, so goes well, let me beyond, let me just goes beyond let me whether throw this out Bill. that person whether you think they're an ego a megalomaniac it uh, goes beyond whether you think they might have impure motives you just have to take care of business
0: right and and let me put this out there for years we as a tennis community have been, writing about talking about having alternatives that you know when one organization gets too much power that things can kind of take a turn for the worse and that wouldn't it be nice to have alternatives to USTA tournaments for those people who don't buy into the points per round ranking system for those people who don't buy into short scoring or no doubles or whatever the issues are that they have with those events. I'm sorry. One and done. Right.
1: One and
2: done. Yeah.
0: Correct. So now we have seen that UTR has got into, gotten into the tournament game. UTR is has created a platform where people can put on tournaments. It's pretty straightforward. Uh, their back-end software still needs some tweaking. I will I will say that as somebody who's used it, um, and they are aware of that and are working on that. But for the most part, it's pretty straightforward. You tell them you want to host an event. They create a website and their platform for you. You go in and all the information out you open registration you close registration you pay them a per-player fee and then you publish you create and publish your draws update your results and voila you have a tournament
2: and it's awesome.
0: and and you can you're not handcuffed by Specific rules like you are when you want to put on a USTA sanctioned event. There are a lot of variables that are left up to the tournament organizer. And one of those that, that again, that we've chosen to take advantage of for the Saul Schwartz tournament is no officials. Um, another one is guaranteeing three matches to every player. Another one is using full two out of three set scoring with regular scoring, none of the no ad garbage, Um, no 10-point tiebreakers for the third set. We want these kids to play tennis. And that's the choice we've made. That's not a format that everybody wants to see. Great. There are options now for you, and that's the beauty of it, right? And so the same thing with the cheating. If you find that certain events are facilitating or turning a blind eye to cheating, then don't go to them. Choose other events. Right. There are choices now.
1: Right. Yeah, don't be the fresh water in that cesspool. So yeah. um, you know, I, there are a couple of things I want to say, and then I'm going to end my, my live broadcasting on YouTube and, and Facebook. Um, you know, it's funny because because um, I was running Junior Grand Prix tennis, which, you know, was was kind of – uh, moving forward, and then I think they've now take, take, taken a sideways or slightly downward. But um, one thing that was really fun with them is the same thing. There's a lot of freedom to come up with a different format. So, what we would do is we'd get all the kids together and watch them hit, and then we would group them by ability based on what, you know, how did it look in terms of how competitive they would be. So, we would have
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, we would have round robins of four, five, six, or seven kids, and so if you were in a round robin of of three, then you would play eight-game process, and if you were mm-hmm. in a round robin of five, then you would play normal sets, and if, and if six, then it would be five-game sets with tiebreakers at four-all, and the kids would play for four hours, and I, the parents loved us because then we sent back, you know, docile, um, exhausted children, you know, that that couldn't really talk back after that. So, um, so <laughs> the other thing too, the other two things great, like a friend of mine brought his uh, kid to my tournament, and his son was, uh, you know, not acting properly, and so I went and talked to the dad, and he said, you know what, do whatever you want to do. So, so he swiped his racket on the ground, and I went on the court immediately. And I, and I got down, you know, to that kid's level and I said, you know, you could destroy your racket somewhere else, but you have to keep it off my court. Um, so, you know, I don't care about your racket one bit, but I do care about my court. And so, and then the other thing is I talked to your dad and he said, calm down. <laughs> so, um, so, I mean, that, that wouldn't. that never. That will never ever happen in a USDA event. And what? And guess what? And so what happens? The kid calms down. He plays really well, and he wins the tournament. And now we have a really positive experience moving forward. Um, you know. And then here's here's the final story. Would be that um, here in NorCal we have this thing called uh, Junior Cup. We have. Um, uh, it's a tournament series that allows coaching on changeovers you know so so it's a great way for kids to play their first tournaments because then you know if they if they blow a tire you know you're there to reinflate um so if they get a flat so you know it's it's great i, I any of my kids who are going to go play tournaments I, I get them started there they don't they're not allowed to play on their own until they've played those and i'm there with them um and we have very few kids uh quit playing tournaments after having started that way. Well, we had this one particularly uh, amazing match between one of my eight-year-olds who uh, got um, emotional issues. She's She's a very fiery kid. And then she was playing this other opponent who seemed to be making 10 or 12 bad calls. But then the girl making the bad calls was doubting and questioning my girl's calls as a, you know, as the best defense is a good offense. So it was just the ugliest match you might've ever wanted to see. So we get the tournament official out there to kind of, you know, monitor all the rest of that match and there were tears and, and it was, it was crazy. So afterwards though, um, I witnessed one of the club pros talking to the other girl saying, Oh honey, that's okay. You can't control if the other girl's a cheater. And I was like, and it blew my mind. I'm like, well, you, dear club pro, you did not watch that match for 1 second and you're now labeling my kid a cheater? Uh-uh, that will not happen." So, so yeah. now we've got now we, let's go to the tournament officials and talk about this, right? So the next morning, the next morning I get a notification that I have received a 1-star Yelp review. Um so this Yelp review was oh Bill, Bill, we went to Bill Patton's camp and he was awful and it was you know terrible total waste of money and and blah 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 and i was like oh i think i know where this Yelp review has come from so i included that in my follow up with the thing and then you know Yelp actually you know investigated and found out that it was this it was the mother of this kid so i you know t- it's it's a little amusing now it was not quite as amusing when my, you know, I went from five stars down to four, (laughs) but you know, there's going to be, there can be some retribution. And so we have to follow up on the retribution then. So uh, I would say, don't be afraid, you know, go, go forward. And if you see, you know, really heinous act of, of cheating that follow up on one of those a year, it won't, it won't emotionally scar you. Um, and follow all the way up until you get satisfaction. And, you know, you might not get satisfaction with the tournament director, so you take it to whoever is the person who's in charge of them down at the office. And if you don't get satisfaction with them, then go to the next level, and you may end up talking to a board, right? And then if it goes that far, then it really kind of exposes the system. You you will quickly be able to decide how much you care anymore about that particular organization. I mean, it's just, you know, be rational, people. I mean, even if the other people are not rational, you can be rational. I mean, and, and if there, if if you feel like there's there's retribution politically somehow, then it's time to drop out. I mean, why continue in that? I mean, it,
2: yeah. you know, I
1: think, yeah. I mean, it, it, it kind of points to, I mean, it's funny how uh, Richard Williams, I think, saw all this happening, and I think that that's That's my personal theory, is that rather than taking all that stuff head on, you know, the Williams sisters just kind of went around it and trained a different way that was completely different that, you know, they could mitigate this problem of continuing ongoing political negativity. Um, Mm -hmm. So, I mean, (laughs) Richard's a fascinating person. I mean, he's, you know, he's definitely a love-hate kind of a guy, but I appreciate the genius of the way he approached the training of his kids and i also uh now as i'm getting a little older understanding kind of the double speak that he used to keep everyone at bay uh so he was he could say something tremendous in one moment and in the very next sentence be extremely critical and that left everybody you know kind of tiptoeing around so you know it was effective it wasn't pleasant but it worked So, so anyway, so I mean, back to the point. So now, I think the 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 final thing that I want to say on this cheating thing is do something. Don't don't complain. Don't rant. Don't go out on all this negativity. Um, I I really want to urge people to to check out this book that has 21 ideas, and it has it has ideas for coaches. It, no, it has ideas that are just general. Everyone in tennis can do these things. Like number one, celebrate great sportsmanship. Yes. Celebrate it, okay? I mean, that's it, do that, and you'll be surprised what an effect that can have, right? So there are these general ideas. Then there are ideas for coaches to in their programs. There are ideas for parents with their children, and there are ideas for players to take ownership of their own match. And finally, there are a couple of ideas for governing bodies um, because, you know, if, if a governing body – I'll give you one thing from that. If a governing body were to, once a month, call the number one, number 11, number 21, 31, 41 players and say, hey, we just wanted to know how we're doing, right? This is just a friendly call to find out how we're doing. And then the next month, call – Two, twelve, you know, and on down, I mean
2: it doesn't mm-hmm.
1: you know either, you know it's an hour it's an hour of your time on the phone, and you might be surprised at how much, and then, wow, the message that sends of caring and engagement, right, what i I you know they will they'll be in disbelief at first, I can't believe I'm getting a phone call from somebody who really actually wants to know my opinion, you know. It's like I tell kids all the time, if you keep telling your mom – you t- if you tell your mom you love you love her and she says, what do you want, then you're not telling your mom you love her enough. Hmm. You know? And so the USTA is not telling people that they love them enough.
0: Well, those kinds of initiatives um, by the governing body take manpower and take money. Hmm. And so it'll be interesting to see if they – I yeah. move on that. Okay. I think it's a great idea, no, I, but...
1: No, your comment there is perfect, because that's the objection. It takes manpower. And so I, so here's... So let me let me come back and say... Uh, and
0: money. Don't forget the money part, because that okay, seems well, to be at the base of everything driving our sport right now,
1: oh, quite honestly. Well, you know, oh, because the USGA is so poor. The USGA doesn't have a mountain of money... That it makes from the U.S. Open every year? Do they? No, I don't think so. Yes, they do. So now the time thing. Okay. So here's um, here's all I'm asking. One hour a month. So so the time thing. I mean, it's not unreasonable to ask someone, a staffer at the U.S.T.A., to spend one hour a month being proactive, developing engagement. That's all it would take because what will happen um, those players get a phone call and then the word spreads they talk to their friends hey i got this phone call from the estate did you get that call right then the next month the next group of people gets the call and they go oh wow my friend told me he got a call from the estate now i'm getting it have you gotten the call i mean it it, it will quickly yeah. spread it will be like a it'll be like absolutely
2: no it'd be it's, huge it's it'd be one, huge one but they're
0: right and and this is you know another in a long list of things that our governing body could do from a PR standpoint that would make things so much better but for whatever reason they've been slow to act on these things now I will say Martin Blackman seems to be making some moves in the right direction. And I, yeah. I have a lot of respect for him. Um, I think he's doing a bang-up job, and I'm, I'm happy that he's in the position he's in with, with player development. But what, need, what people, I think, don't 100% understand is that player development is not about the masses. Player development is about that .001% of players who are going to find success as professional athletes and that uh, yeah. is that's their concern and so I I'm hoping that you know Bill Mountford is in charge of junior tournaments there is a junior comp committee of volunteers that's where the real work for the masses in junior tennis can and needs to happen
2: all right.
1: So, you know, I should uh, – we, we went way beyond the 20 minutes of
0: uh, – We sure did. So I'm, gonna turn <laughs> off,
1: I'm turning off YouTube right now. so Okay. Uh, so, so if you want the rest of this discussion, you people watching on YouTube or Facebook, I'm about to turn this off. And go to parentingaces.com. This, this is going to air sometime after the U.S. Open. Um, so you'll be Correct. able to download the podcast. And so thanks for watching there. And thanks for watching. There. Okay. So. So now. Um, okay. Good. I ended that. And, okay. Because um, you know, we, we were re- right in the thick of it. There wasn't really a break. So.
2: No. It's uh,
0: fine. It's fine.
1: Those are done. Okay. Now. Um, now here's the interesting thing, though. I mean, so yeah. Okay. Martin Blackman, you know, represents you know the training of these of this you know the elite, and that's fine. That's he's doing a great job, and I I think the thing I love about um, the new model. Is that they're taking account and taking into account other factors other than playing ability. Um, you know, it's not an automatic. Your ranking and your playing ability don't get you in necessarily. Um, so they're they're looking at attitude. They're looking at you know uh, to some degree sportsmanship. Is this player going to be able to function when all their calls are being scrutinized? Um, See, so, yeah, I think I think part of the problem with with american player development is we have kids who've cheated all their lives and they've they it's the peter principle they've they reached the level of their incompetence and now their calls are being scrutinized because there's a line judge on every court uh, in college or there you know there's an umpire on every court and uh you know and then there's shot spot to you know detect their bad calls and now they don't get to make the calls and then when that that ball that they would dearly love to call out so they can win doesn't get called out. They, they don't know how to deal with it. But, Mm -hmm. you know, but I'm not, I'm not talking, I'm not thinking so much about the player development aspect. To me, it's, it's about the, the larger growth of tennis. And, you know, Bill Mountford, you mentioned a moment ago, um, he, he, uh, he and I spent about 45 minutes on the phone um, in the last stages of, of me writing the book, and he contributed a quote to it, and he gave me some guidance about how to maybe approach it. Uh, and, and, you know, he was he was instrumental in helping with that. Um, so And the good news did, is, Bill, wait, the good
0: news is, his yeah? son is now in the junior competition world. His son is now playing junior tournaments. So I think... You know, from the perspective of really having an on the ground real world view of what's going on, he is in the thick of it now, and I think that's only going to benefit junior comp as a whole
1: yeah, that's great you know and see the the thing is we we talk about these statistics about you know the extremely large percentage of kids who quit um, before they play a second tournament and then The even larger number of players who never complete six tournaments in their lives. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that is a, that's a a heinous crime against the game because those are the future four, five, five, oh, level players that are going to populate clubs and bring, bring the entire U.S. dedicated player population way up. But we're killing those, we're killing those players in their infancy. Um, Yeah. So, Allowing the toxic environment is is a major blow to the um, to the growth of the game because we're like, we have built in we have built in attrition. So so that's why my players I don't allow them to play USTA until we've gone through a, a situation where I'm present and coaching them through. Um, yeah,
2: you know, I think that's weird
0: and. Then they, then they have a skill set you know they have a toolbox of how to handle situations when they come up.
1: Exactly and we, and we talk a lot about cheating in our in our program. We talk about um, the fact that 80% of the calls in a match that are bad calls are just simple mistakes by the opponent. They just didn't see it. You know, so, so don't rush to judgment about a mistake. Um, Mm -hmm. so, you know, that's a, that's a really major part of it. Um, I mean, this
2: is, this is,
1: these are my unofficial statistics. There's no data on this. This is just me spitballing from having, having, uh, you know, run 30 tournaments and, you know, seeing 10,000, um, high school tennis matches, um, altogether. I mean, it's, I'm probably not exaggerating, but, this is, you know, when I, when I talk about this with people, I mean, a lot of people agree that about 80, you know, four out of five calls that are made that poorly are just a mistake. And then about 15% are because of psychological blindness. You know, the kid wants to win so bad that their eyes convinced them that it was something other because they're, because they're just so outcome-oriented. And I was that kid. I was that kid until the principal of my school (laughs) called me on this when we were playing four square and on the playground. I mean, I more or less had an intervention because kids were upset with me that I was so wound up and so into the, the outcome that I would call the ball wrong and there'd be these huge arguments. So the principal came out and played. And then when the principal and three other players disagreed with me and wouldn't let me off the hook, I had to come to terms with that. So it was a pivotal moment for me. And, um, you know, and it's funny, I still see that guy at the grocery store, but, um, Um, yeah, I mean, you know, kids and, and those are our future champions, the kids that really, really care about the outcome. But so if we let them get stigmatized and we don't train them better how to make calls, then we're losing, we're losing a pretty big chunk of the kids who really, really care. Um, you know, then about 5% of the, the bad calls are calculated criminal acts um, where, you know, they add it up in their mind. Okay, ball on the line. Um, it's break point. And so if I make this call, I win. Okay, out. And then that player then usually what they do is they don't gain eye contact with anyone uh, in the vicinity until after the next point is played you know you can always spot a cheater cuz they'll, cuz they'll make their bad call and then they won't want to look at anyone <laughs> to to you know confirm or deny their call. Mhm. You know so it's, it's a you know it so i you know I, it's funny how much time we can spend talking about this.
2: It's amazing. Well,
0: i I was just going to stop you because our hour is going very rapidly and I want to make sure we touch on at least, at least your USA Tennis Coach Deep Coaching Workshop. So let's let's move on to that for our last few minutes and, and let me just say to the listeners that Links to everything we have discussed will be in the show notes, so um, I will include links to Bill's in my past conversations and the link to purchase his ebook, book and uh, anything else that, <laughs> that comes up in the next few minutes, so take a look at the show notes if, if you need reminders. Okay, I'm done. Go ahead.
1: Okay, thanks. Yeah, so the... Um the deep coaching workshop is coming up um, October 5th, 6th, and 7th in Oakland, California. That's a weekend. Did I get those dates right? I better look at my calendar really quick. Um, I'm not looking at it, and this is what I do. I Sometimes I shoot off the hip a little bit too quickly. But um, now, you know, the interesting thing about coaching education is it sometimes, no, it's the 6th, 7th, and 8th. Um, in Oakland at um, Sequoia Country Club, where I am now the tennis pro. But um, awesome. the, the interesting model of tennis education for coaches—it's it, very close to you know high school or college. And um, you know what we're what we're trying to do is create more of a, like a a classical education model. Um, because currently, what happens is. You know, we get large groups of people together, and everyone watches a lecture, and they'll see a coach uh, playing with a player who's been with them for five years. So you don't, you don't get to watch him struggle uh, with teaching someone for the first time, necessarily. Uh, you know, and there's kind of like a scattershot approach. So, um, you know, with high school coaches, you know, we put on these high school coach workshops that usually have college coaches who are the instructors, but there's kind of a disconnect there because high school and college tennis are pretty dramatically different. So then it becomes, it's really up to the coach to then synthesize for themselves these bits and pieces and kind of connect them to their coaching philosophy, but they might not even really have a very well-developed coaching philosophy. So, you know, it just becomes a sort of amorphous blob of information. Um, so in, in deep coaching and with USA Tennis Coach in general, uh, you know, we're taking more of a classical educational approach of, of discipleship, of, of mentorship, uh, apprenticeship where, you know, one, one instructor works very collaboratively with one or a very small group of, of coaches. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily like a sitting at the feet of the master thing necessarily. It could be that, but uh, so the so the idea behind the workshop is that Friday night there's going to be a discussion about the prior knowledge of coaches and 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 learning theory. So, um, and then. Then, you know, I have a lot of learning theories that I use in my coaching, and so whatever's missing from that group, from that discussion, then there will be a little bit of a talk about, about here are some things to add to your toolbox as coaches. And then Saturday, then I have, I have a full slate of lessons with people at different levels, and different coaches will be assigned to actually take that over, and there will be a lesson plan for a coach to execute with a player they're meeting for the first time, and you know that will be um, coached and um, critiqued, and you know I think that that has the opportunity to be very dynamic. I mean, I, one of the things I'm, I'm reflecting back on when I went to North Carolina and spent some time with Sterling, and he let me teach. Um, select students of his. There were some students he definitely wanted me on the court with and some others that he didn't because because of whatever reason, you know, but it was um really an amazing time to be on the court working with Sterling's players and you know between the two of us I mean I learned a lot about his program, he learned you know he learned a lot about how I would work with those players. His, some of his players had epiphanies because it's like, oh, wow, I'm hearing the same thing from a different person, and now it really makes a lot of sense. Um,
2: mm-hmm.
1: So so then um, so then what will happen is I will spend I – mean, I'm spending time with each coach who attends one-on-one to really talk with them, you know, about how does this integrate with their current situation. Because, again, in the current model – the people who are running the large events, you know, might not know any of the particulars about how this is going to be integrated into the actual program. But we can do that some of that problem solving and uh, it has you know it has the potential of being you know many times more effective as a as a workshop. Um, and then finally, then I would actually teach. I would, I will be coaching each of the coaches on their game. Uh, so they get the experience of being on the receiving end of the model that I'm promoting. And, you know, I, so I, am excited about it and it's limited to eight students. So, um, you know, I, I don't want it to be any more than that because I think that that would diminish the, uh, the experience. Uh, we did this in Florida. We had, um, we had five people come out to a workshop in Orlando, and um, it was pretty amazing. And we would do this thing where there would be a presentation, and then we would have a five-minute hot stove discussion among the coaches where they gave their takeaways from, from the talk. And, you know, when I gave my, my thing about the two-handed backhand, to be able to hear the feedback of the coaches as we had this roundtable discussion about what were their takeaways – I mean, it really helped me, the presenter. So, you know, the the synergy of all of that can be really amazing, and it and it was a great learning experience and a lot of fun. It was actually more fun too, because then we all, as a group, went out to lunch, and the the discussions continued from there. So, um, so that's
2: that sounds the fantastic. Coaching.
1: Yeah. You know, and, and, like, for instance, okay, so I, I said I was going to give a sample of what would be talked about. And, like, okay, so one of them is, one of the topics is how to engage different learning modalities. Um, because, you know, people are generally aware of learning styles. And, and so people have a concept that learning styles are somewhat finite in that, oh, you're a visual learner, you're a kinesthetic learner, you're auditory you're interpersonal. And, yeah, they realize, though, I think that people have, you know, maybe a couple that they're pretty good at. But um, the interesting thing is that uh, Dr. Howard Gardner, who's um, the education guru at Harvard University, was the one who came up with... Oops. It's 9 Um, o'clock. Let me get that off there. Okay, so Dr. Howard Gardner... Um, came up with something called multiple intelligences and he found that they were not so finite and this was where learning styles came from and he was actually upset that that the seven to ten learning uh, multiple intelligences which don't really have any defined borders amongst them got dumbed down and simplified into learning styles so so for me, uh, and then also supporting that is the is recent research which shows whichever part of your brain you're using the most at any particular moment, blood flow to your brain increases there. So, so I think probably the most most common thing that we get is um, we get students who are who are facing paralysis by analysis. Uh, and so they're using, they're trying to learn tennis while using an analytical modality of thought. And so on court, I'm able to show people, you know, here's how you can detect if someone is being analytical. And how do you challenge them to use a different modality of thought and action that's actually going to be effective? So.
0: You Absolutely. just used that word challenge, Bill, and so I'm going to use that as a segue because we, we've got to wind this up um,
2: yeah.
0: or wrap this up. <laughs> you So one of the things you and I talked about before we started recording today was using challenges to help people reach their next level, whatever that means, and so I would love to give you an opportunity to end this discussion with a challenge to my audience of your choosing.
1: Wow. <laughs> well, first let me uh, be a model and a, hopefully a good example. Um, I was challenged to, um, to do a, a daily uh, video presentation. So right now I'm in the middle of a blog marathon where – where I blast out my blog, but before that, I do a video, um, you know, fleshing it out more and explaining it a little bit better. And then then people are reading the blog, I think, uh, uh, you know, probably five times more than they were before. So so I accepted that challenge. I'm doing it. It's been fun. Believe it or not, I've received some pushback. I've, I've gotten people who can <laughs> tell me that, that I'm an egomaniac or whatever. And I'm like, okay, I'm sorry. Um, but sorry, I'm not sorry. <laughs> so, uh, but it's re- really, been fun and amazing. And a lot of people, a lot of good, strong, positive feedback. So I'm doing it for those people there that, that are listening. Okay. So you, the listener, I mean, since, since we have talked so much about cheating in tennis, um, I will challenge you with three different things. Okay. One, um, if you, if you see a moment where there is bad sportsmanship, um, sometime between now and the end of the U.S. Open, say something about it, okay? Um, number two, every time you see a well-played match between two good sports, praise both players loud enough that, everyone in nearby can hear it. You know, hey, you two I love great it. you two great match, you know, I love the sportsmanship there. Hey, I saw that one close call and I could tell you were maybe thinking whether whether it was in or out and you made the right call. That was awesome. Because because people kids will respond to that praise. And and the other kids will go, "Wait a minute, you can get praise for being a good sport?" Um And they'll want that. They want that positive attention. Um, And then finally, if you have a beef on, on, um, on sportsmanship or cheating or whatnot, do not go on a social media rant. Instead, write a very concise letter to the appropriate person saying, these are the facts. You know, the match was played at this time. These were the opponent's. I saw this, this, and this. I followed up with the official and told them this. The response was this. Um, I went to the tournament uh, director. I told him this. The response was this. Now what? And don't get into, and then also in that letter, don't say, oh, and then the water wasn't cold, and the, I didn't like the dusty courts, and I didn't like this. Don't make it a, a shopping list of complaints, because then you just, you know, you're, you're on your own worst enemy you won't really be listened to so right. just the fact it's like a police report and then and then they will have to deal with the facts of that case and then from there I then, like it. Then the, a paper trail is created and something will be done um, maybe that something is nothing uh, but
0: <laughs> Let's happens, hope
1: not. Let's hope not. <laughs> if nothing happens, then you take that letter and you forward it on to the next level of that group. So, you know, it doesn't take long, and it doesn't have to be mean, and you don't have to be a mean person. It's just, hey, this is what I saw, and, you know, I don't feel like it's acceptable. This isn't the way I want um, my – my. I don't, this is not how I want to pay my $45 and – and only get one match that lasted 37 minutes, and and now my child is, is um, despondent. Uh, and I
0: want to just include, Bill, that at ParentingAces.com, on the left side of every page of the website is a link to click on for contact names, phone numbers where I have them, and email addresses where I have them, at USTA for the various sections and departments. So if you're not clear on who to send this detailed factual letter to, check that link out and um, you should be able to find the appropriate person listed. Awesome. And and I want to just say one last thing, Bill. Too to the first part of your challenge, since this isn't airing until after the U.S. Open, let's make oh. a deadline October thirty-one.
1: Okay. That's yeah. Yeah, I thought I didn't know we weren't in the present.
0: Yeah. Well, we're in, we're in the present. We're but in the future. Our listeners are in the past. <laughs> <laughs> Or however that works. I don't know. It's too confusing. Anyway. All right. Well, with that, I want to say thank you to you, Bill Patton, for taking time to be with us this week for the Parenting Aces podcast. And I want to thank my listeners for tuning in once again. I hope everyone will encourage their tennis communities to subscribe to the Parenting Aces podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, Google Play, wherever you like to listen to stuff. Um, We're there, so take a look. Bill, I hope all goes well with your workshop, and I look forward to checking back in with you soon and continuing our conversations.
1: Terrific. Thank you so much, Lisa.
0: I hope you enjoyed this week's podcast with Bill Patton. As you could tell, we did record the podcast pretty far in advance. I had to prepare for some time away from the office, so I wanted to make sure I had content to upload for y'all while I was away. And I think Bill and I had a great conversation with some actionable suggestions on things we can all do to make junior tennis better for our families. So I hope you will take his challenge and act on the points that Bill expressed and uh, let's, let's all work hard to keep our sport healthy and growing out there. Thanks so much for being with us. And I look forward to having you back next week on the Parenting Aces podcast. Have a great week, everybody. I'm Lisa Stone, and you've been listening to the Parenting Aces podcast for tennis parents by a tennis parent. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe to us and write a review on iTunes. For more information on navigating the junior and college tennis journey, visit us online at ParentingAces.com. As always, a huge thank you to our sponsor, TennisBalls.com.